Hey, tennis fans, and welcome to another edition of Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. We're also members of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre. And this week, looking back at the Monterey Open, another title from Layla Annie Fernandez defending her crown. We take a brief peek ahead at Indian Wells. We check in with Canada and their Davis Cup tie. Uh, but first, Monterey Open. And for you, Mike, an opportunity to not only chat with Layla, who was the defending champion, but her sister, Bianca Jolie Fernandez, who, of course, uh, made her debut on our podcast this week. Yeah, I got to combine one of our all-time like record-setting guests in terms of number of Matchpoint Canada appearances in Leila Annie Fernandez with her sister for the first time on, on the podcast with us, Bianca Jolie Fernandez. And uh, when I saw the two of them playing doubles, obviously it reminded me uh, right away of my conversation with Layla from earlier this year where I asked her point blank, hey, who on the WTA would you like to team up with for the first time at an event this year? And she didn't even hesitate. She said her sister, who the two have obviously played together a multitude of times at the ITF level, but this was the first WTA event. And even though they went down in the first round in straight sets to the number one seeds, I put in a request for both of them. And, you know, the tournament press people were kind of saying, well, you know, if they lose, it's probably unlikely. And I said, hey, look, I fully realize that's a possibility. But Leila Annie Fernandez has never let us down. And she she usually is, is open to chatting with us. So I said, if the girls are up for it, I'd, I'd love to speak with them, even if it is a loss. And you couldn't have you couldn't have known that they had just lost by the way they were when I spoke with them. They were both feeding off each other. They were both all smiles and kind of giggling and teasing each other. And it just opened up this really awesome dynamic between two sisters that clearly have a very close uh, relationship. And it showed me a side of Leila Annie Fernandez I've never seen before. Uh, she kind of opened up a little bit more. And her sister was not what I expected whatsoever. There was definitely a little bit of shenanigans going on and, and some, uh, you know, good natured sass, which, uh, you know, you should know. I mean, me and my siblings are so different. My kids mm -hmm. are so different from each other. It's very rare, actually, that siblings are, are, are unique uh, or sorry, are, are the same. And so I like that unique sort of perspective that both brought to the table. And it was a fun interview, as uh, I hope you felt when you got to listen to it, too. Yeah, yeah, it, it was great. And uh, as you kind of highlight, and I think we should throw to it just in a, in a moment, because we, we, we talked about it already. But maybe I had an impression of Bianca Jolie Fernandez being a little more sort of soft spoken kind of personality that a the type of personality we really saw from Layla the first couple of years, we knew her, of course, I feel like she's broken out of her shell even more the past couple of years, but uh, yeah, you're right. She was not what I expected. Um, I love the word you use in your description, um, replying to one of her responses, sassy. You guys will hear it uh, right now. Here's Mike's interview with Layla Annie Fernandez and sister Bianca Jolie Fernandez. Really excited to be joined right now by both Fernandez sisters, Layla Annie and Bianca Jolie for a chat with Matchpoint Canada about their first WTA event together as doubles partners. I know our listeners are going to be thrilled to have you back again with us, Leila Annie and Bianca Jolie. Happy to welcome you to the podcast for the first time today. Yeah, thank you so much for having us again. I'm, well, having me again. I'm super pumped to be talking to you, and I'm sure Bianca, she's excited to be here too. How are you? <laughs> oh, two questions. Yes, I am very happy to be here um, my very first WTA tournament, it was, it was an amazing experience, and I love playing with my sister. I can just sit back and let the two of you ask each other questions if you like. That was great, <laughs> Leila Annie. 
Uh, hey, you two have played doubles together many times before, um, a bunch of ITF events in recent years, but this is the first WTA event. And so, uh, Bianca Jolie, I'll ask you first, what's it mean to share this moment with your sister? And was this any different from previous times that you guys have shared the court together, being that it's a WTA event? Um, well, it was very special to play with my sister because she always talked about it when we were young, saying, oh my God, we're going to play doubles together. When we're in the WTA, we're going to be pros together. And I always thought about it, but I would never show, showed the same enthusiasm. <laughs> but, um, and playing doubles with her didn't change much. We just know each other so well. Maybe we're, we were a bit rusty since we're in different tournaments. So, but once we settled in, as you can see, we both started communicating better, playing better together, and it started flowing. Unfortunately, it was a little too too late. But the next opportunity that we have, we're not going to be rusty and we're going to play great. Leila, Annie, you've told me on several occasions that your sister is the player you'd most like to play doubles with, which uh, struck me as something pretty special. What, what kind of relationship do the two of you share? Because I don't think every sibling uh, duo out there would would get along well on the court as well. So, there must be something behind it for you two that, that clicks. Uh, you know, when we were younger, we we played doubles together, just provincial tournaments, and we were fighting practically every single point, which was hilarious because we were playing so well. We were just not communicating well. We are like fighting, bickering. My parents weren't happy about that. It's like, if you could just change your attitude. And then I think when I first started traveling a little bit more, we, uh, we both understood the importance of being positive towards one another, being happy for each other, just loving each other, loving our journey. And uh, every time that we're on court together, playing together, um, playing doubles together, that's what we try to do, enjoy our moment because we don't know if that's going to happen again. And, we're just very, very happy to have this opportunity. And I was able to play with my younger sister because it's something that I've always dreamt about. And uh, this tournament has been incredible up to now. And I'm super, super happy to, to share this experience with, with Bianca. I'm going to share that answer with my kids who sometimes uh, drive each other and me and my wife crazy. So that sounds really nice that you do get to a point where things kind of uh, become a little bit more uh, easygoing, I guess. I'll ask you both this question. Um, Bianca, Julie, let's start with you. Do you think that a Fernandez sister partnership is something that you guys would prioritize if you find yourselves at the same WTA events more often in the future? Of course. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was the short answer. No hesitation there. I love it because, you know, no, we, we both want to play together practically every, every single time. Every, every tournament we've always like talked about, oh, if we would have been like in the same city or same tournament, let's, let's just like play together. Let's just have fun. Let's, uh, let's have that experience, uh, have, that, have that in our memory bank. And, you know, it's not, it's not every day where both sisters can be on the same court playing the same sport that they love and uh, just enjoying the moment. So we, that's what we want. And that's what we want to do every, every time. I'm going to ask Bianca Julie another question, but I'm a little afraid of the sass here. So uh, hold on, we'll see how I phrase this. What's it like getting to play in a, in a WTA event for you as you're just at the start of your pro career? Uh, how special has it been this week uh, being there among the, the pros? I felt very special. <laughs> it's not like ITFs. It's, there's more 
convenience, you get the courts, you get everything. So everything was well, it was much easier. And I, it felt, they made me feel special and the whole place was special. Um, I love the, the part where it's faster, it's less, um, less backed up, everything's faster, everything's stronger. So yeah, I didn't keep up as much but it's such a great first experience because now I know and I know what to improve. And um, when I come back, because I will, um, I won't come out on, I will come out on top, that's all. I love the confidence, that sounds familiar. I think I've heard that somewhere before. I think that's a trait both of you probably share. Um, my sister and I are less than two years apart and uh, we spend a lot of time together growing up, both getting along and pushing each other's uh, buttons, so to speak, getting on each other's nerves. Are you too good at pushing each other's buttons as well? And 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 in what ways do you sort of do that? Oh, all the time. Every no. second of the day. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm I'm very, very positive and loving, and she's more the sass and sarcastic. I don't know if you've noticed with this mini interaction, but very quickly, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes like the one way like I push her buttons is just like being close to her. Like I don't say anything. I'm just there in her bubble and just basically like looking what she's doing, asking her, like, what are you doing? Can I join? Just being annoying like that. And her, I have no idea how she pushes my button, but she does it like very, 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 very well. What do you do? It's not really a strategy. It's not really like, oh, I'm going to annoy Layla. It's more like I, I notice some things and I like to like point it out. <laughs> it's just me stating facts <laughs> and just go after you about it. <laughs> yeah. So you see the imperfections and you know I like perfection. So you go for the imperfection. Thank yeah. You. And, you, and you know that I like my personal space, but uh, here you are. <laughs> I'm loving this dynamic. I think all future Fernandez interviews have to involve both of you, okay? <laughs> okay. <laughs> sure. All right. A more serious question. Uh, is it tough for your father to coach both of you at the same time? And, and I would guess it must be challenging also for both of you not to see each other much throughout the tennis season as you're playing different tournaments, different events across the globe. Oh, yes. It's definitely very, very hard for him. Uh, you know, we are two completely different players, two completely different persons. So he tries to change his personality, change his ways of training to help both of us achieve our dreams. So, you know, he has to plan to, he has to plan for my tournaments, my training, and then he also has to plan for her tournaments and her training to, to accommodate where she's at, what she needs to improve and to accommodate what I need to improve. The only good thing is that we're both sisters and we both understand the struggle. So we're not pushing him to do any decisions and choosing between one or the other. And we just want the best for, for one another. So I just, when he's traveling with my younger sister and I with me, I totally understand that. And I'm actually happy that he's made that decision and that he's trusting me to do what I need to do. And then he's also there teaching Bianca the ropes the same way that he's been teaching me for the course of the year and you know we just we just have like that kind of in our brain that no matter what happens we're still sisters he's still my dad we're a family and that though anything that happens on court stays on court outside the court it's 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 
it's where all the fun happens. <laughs> hey, just to wrap up, I wanted to ask you, uh, Bianca Jolie, what are your plans for 2022 in terms of trying to get into the WTA events? And Leila Annie as well on, on your side of things, it's a little bit more structured, I guess, at this point. Um, is there a chance we see you playing Billie Jean King Cup in Vancouver in April? Well, what are your plans, Bianca? My plans is just to climb up as much as I can the ranks. Um, I'm not really looking to win tournaments. I just want to get accumulate points, get my ranking up, get more opportunities to play the OVTA events. Um, and for a Billie Jean King Cup, now that is up to the captains. <laughs> if they want me, I'll be there. <laughs> I hope you'll be Love there. it. <laughs> um, well, for me, this season, I'm just planning to to be consistent on every tournament, uh, hopefully be top 10 by the end of this season and play the, the WTA finals. The, the, those are my goals for, for this season. And um, just have fun. Like, like I've said every year, the number one thing is the mind, the body and the emotions. And I just want that to be at 100% throughout the year. And on court, I'm always going to have fun. Well, it's been, it's been, sorry, go ahead. You were going to finish off. No, no, no. No, I think I'm done. I was going to repeat it all over again. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, it's been great having both of you. Leila Annie has the uh, all-time record for appearances on Matchpoint Canada, actually. Uh, so great to have you back on with us again. And uh, Bianca Jolie, you'll have to do some catching up, but great to have you on for the first time and, and all the best moving forward uh, with your young career. Thank you so much, Mike. Thanks for having me. Thanks, guys. See you. There you have it. Mike's interview with Layla and Bianca Jolie-Fernandez. Um, of course, the younger sister making her debut. And they both, I, I mean, one trait they obviously carry, and, and you can probably say this maybe was really instilled from their father, Jorge, is the utmost confidence and belief in their games. We know how uh, Layla likes to aim high with her goal setting, um, what she looks to achieve in this sport, and Bianca Jolie already taking, I think, this tournament, getting up at that WTA level as, as a learning experiencing experience, recognizing, you know, I'm not at that level yet. Um, but I'm going to get there. And she said that with such conviction. That was uh, one of probably maybe the famous, my favorite part of the interview, to be honest. Yeah, she had that comment. And, and the interview I mentioned to you earlier is probably more fresh in your mind because you just listened to it. For me, it was mm -hmm. days ago and, and I've been under the weather this week. So everything's a bit of a blur. But I do remember the one comment that stuck with me was something along the lines of like, I'll be ready for next time. Yes. And that I'm, and that I'm going to learn from this experience. And I'm like, oh yeah, there's the Fernandez sort of killer instinct. And uh, it's interesting to me because Layla Annie in the past mentioned, oh, my sister is like the serious one and I'm sort of the the, the more fun and, and bubbly one. And I'm like, wow, you seem pretty serious to me at times. Mm -hmm. Certainly on the court, your demeanor is very focused and dialed in. And, and then Absolutely. in this interview, I found Bianca Jolie was, yeah, a little bit more the uh, the playful one. Um, but it's interesting how siblings see each other versus, you know, how we might see them. Um, at any rate, it was it was great to have them on. I think we'll definitely have to try for that again in the future. And and hopefully they're able to team up for another WT event in doubles this year. Uh, I did ask them before we started recording in terms of, you know, Layla Annie has always said to me she wants her middle name in there when we refer to her. Yeah. And so I thought with Bianca, hey, is it Bianca? Is it Bianca Jolie? And she was more of a laissez-faire attitude, like, well, whichever one you want. And I'm like, okay. well, it's your name, so you let <laughs> me know what we're going to go with. And she's like, oh, well, let's keep it consistent between the two sisters and go with Bianca Jolie then. But uh, didn't seem as adamant as, as Layla Annie is to use the, the two. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure the press will, will just go with, you know, first names for both, as they've done with Layla Annie for quite a while. But I feel like we've known her for such a long time. we got to hold true to that. And 
and that's what she's asked for. So uh, fun to get them both in the doubles. Uh, and then Leila Annie went on and had herself another week in Monterey, didn't she? Yeah, she she certainly did. Um, what a, what a terrific run, capturing her second career WTA singles title. Um, I have to look back and I guess find some moments in in tennis history where a player has won both of their first two titles, both of their first two career singles titles at the same location, because that's what's happened, of course, for Layla. And I feel like there's always that additional pressure which we've seen previous players kind of struggle to deal with when they're returning as a defending champion. We kind of a heap a lot of pressure on our shoulders based on that you're thinking this could be a stressful scenario i have to defend these points they're important to my ranking and um just just how i'm sort of mentally looking at a tournament i won the previous year but for her to be so locked in and play this well um you know a great first match she won pretty comfortably uh six two six two and then after that um, you know, a tough second rounder against Zheng uh, Xinwen, which went 7-6 in the third. She beats a great player in Wang Xiang, who, of course, upset uh, Coco Goff at the Australian Open. Semi-finals comfortable. And then, hey, for those who are following along in social media, what transpired in this incredible final, uh, which had a lot of twists and turns, uh, Layla overcame a very talented teenager, Camila Osorio from Colombia. I think a, a fantastic player to watch. She moves so well around the court. Layla winning 6 Seven six four seven six. Um, we know she's capable of these comebacks. We've seen it so many times. Her matches at the U.S. Open, um, the other tournament in, in Mexico, the other year in 2020. In this case, she was down four one in that third set. Rallies back for four all. She saves five match points at the five six game. Gets a hold for six six and forces the tiebreak. All of that while transpiring while lights went out and there were flickering lights. So the match was put on delay for several minutes. There was a bit of controversy over like when the match delay was called, if Osorio was kind of affected in that sense, which is possibly true. But I also give such incredible credit for Layla. Imagine having to reset mentally after a match delay. And when you're coming back for your next point, you have to save a match point. I, I can't imagine handling that mentally. And she did gets the hold and kind of rolls away with the tiebreak seven to three for, for this title. So uh, amazing wild performance, particularly in the final and another title. Well, thanks for filling me in there because I got to be <laughs> honest, I was kind of in the dark myself uh, just by virtue of not being able to watch the match either online or on TV. So I'm refreshing the feed, but my kids are awake and I got dinner coming <laughs> at the same time and all these things trying to, you know, happen simultaneously, unfortunately. And I thought my phone was glitching because every time I looked at my phone, it was like, why isn't you know, the score changing? <laughs> why isn't the score changing? Mm. Is it just keep just going back from deuce to advantage? How many times here? What am I missing? And uh, it's a shame I wasn't able to sort of catch it as it was all uh, happening, but uh, such is life. And, um, you know, to, to Layla Annie's credit, clearly feels so at ease playing in Mexico. Now these two titles back-to-back years, she made another final, what, a year or two ago as well yeah. in Mexico. And, um, you know, I spoke to her last night after her semifinal match, and she said just, you know, glowing praise for Mexico on and off the court how comfortable she feels there. And I asked the question, how does this year reaching the final feel different from a year ago when you were still seeking your first WTA title? And she kind of said, you know what? It's not a comparison for me. I'm not comparing this year to last year. I'm comparing this to like the last finals I was in, which is at the US Open, which she was basically saying was still kind of grinding her gears the way that went down. And she was looking at this as an opportunity to sort of 
put that behind her. And I guess with the way she closed things out here in Monterey, hopefully that's done just that. And she's able to, yeah, lay the U.S. open to rest once and for all and move forward. But I was really struck by those comments yesterday after the semifinals that she was still thinking about that Grand Slam experience back in September. I think that's such a reflection, too, of just her attitude and her approach in this sport and always striving for more. I think um, we probably spoke about it at the time, too, or just in the weeks after. You know, she was back out on the practice court, I I think, almost the day or two after making the U.S. Open final. And I think so many players, and I wouldn't even blame them for it, would just view reaching the finals of the U S open as this incredible success and just um, being so proud of that achievement and, you know, taking this time off and just having purely positive memories of like, wow, I made the finals. She was ticked about the loss in the finals. She, she thought she should, should have won the tournament. And that really speaks to her attitude, demeanor, her self-belief and confidence. And, um, you know, we saw it on display in Monterey winning this title. And I think honestly, this was an important title for her too, because, she had a rocky uh, start to the season with that early, early loss in Australia. And suddenly you get questions of form. Is she like a flash in the pan? Is this not uh, for real? And she's, you know, adamantly prove, proven uh, that she's absolutely the real deal. And I think here to stay. And she hadn't played in such a long time either, right? The Aussie Open that ended like for her that ended, you know, mid-January. This is, um, my goodness, a month and a half, more than a month and a half ago now. And she told me again last night that never did she waver in not deciding to play another tournament, that that was always going to be the plan after the Aussie Open was to kind of shut it down and go on a training block. And so she stuck to her guns on that one. And it clearly seems like it was the right move. But to come back after such a layoff and and have a run like this um, is kind of unexpected, I would say. She didn't find it unexpected, of course, but that's the self-belief right there. Um, but, uh, but good on her and now hopefully can take this momentum into the bigger tournaments that are coming up in uh, Indian Wells and Miami and then into the clay court season and, um, and, and, you know, put herself back on the map in terms of uh, being that top 20 presence that we think she can be and that she definitely knows she can be. Yeah, and uh, I know she intends to knock on the door of the top 10, which is a goal for her this season. We'll see if she can achieve that. Another issue I think we certainly have to touch on. I mean, we we haven't discussed, not that we're a political podcast, but of course, uh, horrible what's transpiring in the country of Ukraine with Russia's invasion in that country. And we have seen tennis players rightfully speaking out and uh, just commend them so much, particularly Alina Svitolina, who was playing at the Monterey Open. She announced ahead of the tournament, she was prepared to withdraw, skip her match um, unless Russian athletes uh, were moved to play under a neutral status. And at that time, we hadn't really received any appropriate response from the WTA and the ATP uh, in terms of this issue. And of course, you know, this isn't blame on Russian athletes. Uh, This is blame on what's transpired, what Russia has done in their invasion to Ukraine. So Svitolina taking a stance and also announced, you know, she will donate all of her prize money at the event to the cause, uh, to the Ukrainian crisis she played and uh, won a few matches, fell actually to Osorio in the quarterfinals, uh, who, of course, went on and lost that final to Layla. So uh, immense credit to Sp- Svitolina for using her uh, powerful public voice. And then Diana Yastremska, a very talented player who I feel like we, we haven't seen her ceiling yet. She's Ukrainian as well. And she was certainly wearing her heart on her sleeve, her country on her sleeve when she was competing at the Lyon Open uh, in France. And um, 
made it all the way to the final before losing to uh, Zhang Shui in three sets. An incredible run for her playing such inspired tennis. And um, another storyline on the men's side, Sergei Stokowski announcing that he's going to fight in the war for his country. Uh, so a lot of these athletes, Ukrainian athletes, uh, rightfully speaking out and uh, some inspiring stories over the week. Yeah, an incredibly emotional and, and heartbreaking time, what we're all seeing, of course, online and, and on the news and, and to see some athletes who are, how do you even compete under such circumstances when you've mm -hmm. got family and friends and your homeland is under such a, a vicious attack? So for athletes like Svitolina and Yastremska to be able to go out and, and compete and, and compete so well and as well take the time to put, you know, the thoughts of their, their fellow country uh, people at, at the forefront of their, the message that they're bringing to these tournaments uh, is something else. Uh, other athletes as well, non-Ukrainian athletes for speaking up as well is, is great. And, you know, Sloan, uh, Sloan Stevens decided to donate all of her prize money from Guadalajara the week before as well, which was, uh, was quite moving. And, and then you see, you know, some Russian athletes that are obviously in a, in a very awkward position, I would imagine. Um, mm -hmm. Also um, choosing to speak out at, at great personal peril, I would imagine as well. You see Andre Rublev writing on the camera lens uh, stuff about peace and say no to war. And he had just been playing doubles with a Ukrainian tennis player yep. the week prior to the, the invasion by Russia. So uh, some, some heavy moments, heavy times. Um, I think we, we all probably have Ukrainian friends or people in our community that, that we know. Um, I, I went to school with quite a few Ukrainians in, in high school that I keep in touch with. And, and many of the kids in my, um, in my kids and, and their classmates at school uh, have Ukrainian heritage as well and, and just following their social media posts. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's tough to be in a moment like this to know what, what you can do. Um, but uh, obviously talking about it is, is good. And uh, I, you know, donating a little bit of money to the Canadian Red Cross who are sending humanitarian uh, aid and things like that. So I would encourage anybody to, to do what they're able. Um, this is, uh, you know, one of the, the darkest moments I can remember in my lifetime in terms of a, mm -hmm. a conflict and trying to explain it to my two six-year-olds and my eight-year-olds this past week was, was pretty heavy because they've never been touched by something on this level before either. And of course, they come home with all sorts of, you know, miscommunications at school and things that the kids their age are going to talk about and, and get sure. the facts wrong. So it's just, it really hit me when my kids brought it home and, and brought their fear of the matter home because to them, Ukraine could be an hour's drive for all they know and, and their fears about, uh, you know, how the, how the war may touch us in Canada. But uh, our hearts go out to those who are affected, the players who are affected. And, and uh, you know, we really hope for a, a swift sort of resolution, as unlikely as that seems right now, unfortunately. Yeah, uh, very, very well said. You are listening to Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. You can find us on Twitter at Matchpoint Can. We're on Instagram at Matchpoint Canada, also on YouTube and Facebook. We did have Team Canada competing at an international event, a Davis Cup qualifiers, a tie um, at The Hague in the Netherlands on red clay. Uh, Look, we, we knew going into this matchup for Canada, no Felix Ojealiasim, no Denis Shapovalov, both kind of preparing for the upcoming Indian Wells at uh, the BNP Paribas Open. Vashik Pospisil also opting not to play. So we had uh, Steven Diaz, Alexi Galarno making his debut in Davis Cup, and then Peter Polanski, Braden, and Braden Schnur competing in doubles. And uh, unfortunately, just lopsided on paper and, and in this matchup. And not really surprisingly at all, Netherlands winning this tie 4-0. I think for me, what I can take away from this effort, though, from Canada in this qualifier and tie was Alexi Gallarno showing 
honestly, some terrific tennis in his debut playing a Bodic Bondesanskalp, a top 50 player, very talented player. And Gallarno losing 7-5, 7-6 and hanging in incredibly tough, having a look at a set point in the second and a long tie break, just competing very incredibly well. And I feel like um, he has a, a strong future ahead of him. If you can play that type of tennis, I thought uh, for me, he was sort of the highlight for the Canadian team. Yeah, forget about the tennis. How about that victory lap initiation? That his, uh, <laughs> I love that. Made him do with the Canadian flag around his neck and the um, you know smiley faces uh, around artistic his work nipples, on his yeah. uh, upper body. And, yeah, um, and just uh, doing it with a smile and so much enthusiasm as he was like high fiving people in the uh, you know nearby rows of the crowd. So that to me kind of showed. Oh, this kid's a, a gamer. I kind of like him. He's got a little moxie and uh, that scoreline very impressive. Um, unfortunately, it kind of went down the way we imagined it would go down with the, the lopsided squadrons that both countries were uh, were putting onto the court there. And um, this, to me, highlights more than anything the uh, deficiencies with Davis Cup. The uh, and, and this isn't new either. I shouldn't say this is just because mm-hmm. of the new format. I mean, it's been forever where some years countries get their full rosters, some years they don't no consistency even under the old sort of setup of davis cup which i admit was was pretty heavy in terms of the onus on countries to compete multiple times a year this pairs it down but when you're going to schedule something like this right before indian wells there's no way you're going to get the felixes dennis's and vashik's or milos if he was healthy heading over to play in netherlands the week before a big masters 1000 event on a different surface in a different time zone. I mean, there's just no way that's going to happen. So uh, that sort of thing's going to have to be rectified. Uh, I do believe they're looking at, or they did perhaps uh, move around the schedule for the year end kind of stuff. So it's not too late in the year moving forward uh, because even last year we were missing top guys yeah, for the we Davis cup finals, but here we are now, they won't be in the finals this year, but in September competing to sort of stay in the, the, the upper echelon, I suppose. But if you can't get the big names, no disrespect to the guys that we sent there, but if you can't get the big names, I just don't see how it's going to be viable. And I see how something like the ATP Cup is maybe going to you know, take over where the Davis Cup may be a thing of the past. And I spoke to Felix Ogiali-Sim just a couple of weeks ago, and, and he sort of echoed that, yeah, the ATP Cup to him is just the perfect way to set something up. It's got ranking points, uh, the prize money. It's at a good time of the year. It's got all the great players there. Um, he'd love to play Davis cup again. He wants to, and intends to again, but it's got to fit with the schedule and he wants to win it again for Canada and for his teammates, uh, and for himself as well. He mentioned, but, uh, they're going to have to do some, some changes to the way this is set up because we've got a country right now that is one of the greats in world tennis. And I'm not, you know, um, uh, pumping that up more than it needs to be. Look at what we did at the ATP cup just a few weeks ago. We should be competing and, and contending for Davis cups as well, but, not when they get put at a time of the year like this one. Yeah, and look, we've seen them compete uh, and reach the finals just a few years ago in 2019. We, we see what this squad is capable of when they have a full roster, and we can certainly say not even argue that Felix and Dennis are even better players now than they were in 2019 when they reached that final. Um, this event needs reform. It's very difficult to schedule, and maybe there is an option like Felix mentioned looking at having ranking points somehow uh, be a part of this event to just uh, motivate players to fit it into their schedule better. I mean, we did see a few top players compete this past week at Davis Cup. 
you know, Spain beating Romania comfortably. I believe Roberto Bautista Good had a couple wins there. The Americans rolling over Colombia. They had Taylor Fritz there, Sebastian Corda, a couple good players, of course. Italy had Yannick Sinner playing. So I, I suppose, depending on where these players were in the world, they figured I can make a stopover and play Davis Cup and play a couple of matches. But obviously, as a whole, it's it's becoming inconvenient. And scheduling-wise, we knew ahead of time, as you said, it wasn't feasible to get all the top players there ahead of Indian Wells. And maybe also easier if you're already over in Europe where the tie yes. is going to be you know, contended. I mean, Felix has been on the road for a while. He's back in Montreal right now. Dennis is in transit also. So, you know, it wouldn't have made any sense to me to see either of those guys stick around for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't fault them whatsoever, especially given how much those two, and Vashik as well, have given to Davis Cup over the years. Vashik, when I last spoke with him, said like, look, this is the first time in 13 years I'm sitting out Davis Cup, not because of an injury. So, you know, for the first time, he's like, I got to take care of me. And again, he's trying to push back into the top 100 yeah, totally, totally get it. You cannot, you cannot fault Vashik Pospisil ever for not representing his, his country because it's such a foreign concept. We've never almost really seen it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's, he's always represented and worn the flag at every opportunity he really could. And it's a well-deserved breather, as he called it for him this season. So uh, Canada will have to, they'll have to go through a different route and, and compete in September and see if they can come through a tie there and, and maybe uh, get in a better place in 2023 and get back to the finals because they won't be in the finals uh, for later this season. Unfortunately, I think we knew that reality was coming. We know the sunshine double is coming, starting with Indian Wells, the BNP Paribas Open. We have qualifying for uh, Monday, Tuesday, and then uh, our field starting at the end of the week. So we don't have draws right now. So it's not really a tournament preview we're going to give you. But just touching on a couple storylines, obviously, on the men's side, uh, Novak Djokovic, he won't be eligible to play to this event uh, as of now. And I certainly don't see that changing in the next few days. So uh, Rafael Nadal, I mean, he's 15 and 0, of course, in the calendar season, hasn't lost. Dino Medvedev, the number one, who is the favorite? I, I, I kind of right now leaning Rafa, given that he has the 2 and 0 record over Medvedev. And um, we haven't seen really other players show, you know, sustained top level. I, I feel like Felix is a guy who's also in the mix as well. Yeah, you would lean Rafa, wouldn't you? <laughs> who, am I, who am I supposed to say? Yeah, of course, of course. And I mean, boy, he looked good in Acapulco and uh, really uh, went through Medvedev a lot easier than I thought it was going to go, especially how Medvedev took the first two sets. And, you know, at the Aussie Open, where it, it you know there was so much on the line in terms of history for Rafa. So for him to come out in Acapulco, I thought, well, I could totally see Medvedev taking him in straight sets here, or at least taking it in, in two out of three. Uh, and that just wasn't the case. So uh, kudos to Rafa for just coming out of the gate so strong this year. And as you mentioned, Felix has got to be up there in contention. And let's see him now maybe, you know, escalate to a, a level 1000 and, and see what he can do here. Uh, Andre Rublev has been terrific this year. So you got to consider him also a top-notch uh, contender. And Shapovalov, yeah, coming off a semis in, in Dubai and, and him having a memorable um more recent event there as well. So it would be great to see the Canadians be able to, um, you know, maintain their momentum and, and perhaps have a tournament where they both end up going deep. That'd be fun to see. Um, I can't believe that the tournament defending champion is Cam Norrie. Like that's still <laughs> no disrespect, you know, Great Britain. I, I love you guys, but uh, I just, wow, you know, kind of not forgot, but uh, it's still surprised by that, I guess you could no, say. No, it, it, it's, it's certainly surprising. And, uh, I, I think I, I 
discussed this a little bit. I really thought he was one of those players and a lot of people thought he was one of those players who said like, how is he going to possibly successfully defend all these points that he racked up in 2021 during his career season? And then we saw bad signs at the start of the year. He lost first round at the Australian open to Corda. Um, Felix beat him actually at Rotterdam in the quarterfinals. But since then he has really been fantastic. He goes over to the Delray beach open wins. It gets his first title of the season already in February. And then he played great tennis in Acapulco, reaching the final, getting a huge win over Tsitsipas there in straight sets um, before, of course, uh, losing to Nadal in that final. So he's in good form. He is playing well, probably unrealistic to say he's one of the favorites to realistically win this title. It was just such a completely different tournament when it was played last year, it came at a different portion of the calendar. We had a handful of uh, top players missing and, and just not, not there. And it was an incredibly unusual final that we saw Nori and Bassi Lashvili. You think like that sounds like a 250 final, right? And not an Indian Wells final, which for me is the biggest uh, hardcore masters 1000 event on the calendar. So um, Nori for me, he's one of those guys certainly in the mix to make a quarter or a semi Felix has played well at Miami in the past. He made a semi there, but he uh, hasn't produced the results yet at Indian Wells. So this is a, a strong opportunity for him to certainly collect some points. I think Dennis can do damage as well. And as you mentioned, uh, Andre Rublev, I think he's probably been for me, the third best, third best player of uh, 2022 behind Nadal and Medvedev. Yeah. Unfortunately. And also to Felix's detriment, taking him out in the last final that the yes. two, the two met in, but it's fair, you know, back and forth. Uh, the wild cards are kind of interesting on the Met side, eh? In the Indian Wells uh, event, it's kind of like a, a throwback when you look at, I think, Kyrgios got one, uh, Andy Murray's Andy got Murray. one, mm-hmm. Jack Sock, and I believe Sam Query, who was just competing in a champion series, which is usually reserved for, like, retired players. He was playing against Tommy Haas just a couple days ago, uh, along with Jeannie Bouchard, I should say, as well. So maybe we mentioned that in a couple minutes. But, uh, yeah, kind of the old guard with those wild cards, uh, you know, no, no up-and-comers, uh, seemingly getting one of those. Um, Yastremska was just awarded one on the women's side actually a few hours ago, yep. um, which is really, really nice given obviously what's going on uh, with her country and also the way that she played last week. Yeah, that was that was well-deserved. Uh, Sophia Cannon will, I believe, also uh, get herself a wild card and get into this tournament. Um, very shocking to see that uh, come the rankings as you listen to this episode, Sophia Kennan will be ranked number 130 in the world. This yeah, is, she's, this she's is someone who was killed over the last year. Though, yeah, right? I mean, this is someone, she was WTA Player of the Year in 2020, the Australian Open title, the finals of the French Open, and has really, you know, fallen off a cliff. And of course, I think injuries are a part of that. Um, but uh, she really needs a reset. And, and, to, and, and to say Jeannie Bouchard's name once again, uh, Jeannie faced Sophia Kennan a couple of days ago yeah. in this champions event. It was neat to see the inclusion of women. Typically, it's just been the men in the past. And Jeannie smoked her 6 1 in the uh, women's uh, set. So, good sign. Considering <laughs> that was Jeannie's first time on the court playing in a year, like literally in a year since yeah. last year in Monterey, um, that, that result must buoy Jeannie's confidence while simultaneously not being such a great sign for Sophia Kennan's continued struggles. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll see how that plays out, though. A big storyline on the women's side just going in. Um, Naomi Osaka will be there and competing, but uh, world number one Ashley Barty um, has pulled out of both Indian Wells and Miami. This especially surprised me because she won the Miami Open last year, if we recall, beating Bianca Andreescu, but missing the sunshine double. And she said uh, she hasn't 
fully recovered from her Australian Open run. I found that quite surprising. And people were sharing the fact that she spent less than eight hours on court across her matches in that tournament of, uh, does she just need an extended break? It's pretty surprising that we don't have her world number one there. Well, she hasn't exactly said what she needs time to recover from. And if that were me winning my home slam, I'd still be trying to recover from, you know, sobering up. Over partying? The, the partying over all <laughs> yeah. that time. So to be perfectly honest, like maybe she's just enjoying and, and soaking up the, um, the incredible achievement that is in her career. Uh, look, if there's anything we've learned over the past two years of this pandemic, it's not to make any rash judgments about people's reasons for perhaps not being ready whether they be physical, mental, or a combination of the two. So I'm not even questioning. I'm just saying, good for you, Ash Barty. You take whatever time you want. You don't need the money. You don't need the ranking points. You don't need the glory or the fame. So you come back when you're ready to come back, and um, and you do you. Yeah, I, I'm all for that. Uh, of course, Bianca, her she kind of burst onto the scene for many tennis fans winning this title in 2019. Um, we don't have a timeline yet for her return, but she won't be playing Indian Wells or Miami. Australian Open finalist Danielle Collins is also out. Paula Bedosa will be defending her title from last season. I feel like she's on a long list of contenders who could realistically win this year. Um, We'll see where Layla gets, of course, placed in the draw. Um, but I, I don't think we need to offer any predictions. We don't have a draw. But remember, we do have the Tennis Canada Bracket Challenge. So when the draws are out, uh, log on to Tennis Canada's Bracket Challenge. Submit your picks. See how you do. We had a great time uh, playing with the Qatar Total Energies Open. I mean, I personally didn't have a great time. But for, yeah, for no glitches this well. time, Ben. Why don't you tell our listeners what happened to you? Because I'm still not sure what happened the first time to you. Yeah, first time, I, I guess I filled this whole thing out and somehow missed clicking on a match between Amanda and Isioma uh, and somebody else in the third round. And I thought I had successfully submitted my picks. Such a such a rookie noob mistake uh don't make that mistake go over your picks thoroughly make sure you've selected everyone correctly before you officially submit your bracket and do it on time uh and you'll have a chance to win prizes uh so and, and even if you haven't uh participated yet if you missed out on the Qatar yep. women's draw that's okay because there's still you can jump in at any point in time mm-hmm. you can qualify for prizes and badges in any one specific tournament and uh, it's not like there's so many points already in the bank from that uh, previous event that, that you can't get back in the game and so this one will be good because it'll be the men's and the women's draws and uh, i had a great time on the first one by total fluke, of course, I don't usually do well in these kind of things, but I'm in the top 20-ish. I think I'm 17th or something to that effect out of, Very I don't good. know, 150 some odd from that that first. Uh, so I'm just going to brag about it now, knowing that the rest of my season is par- probably going to go downhill from here. Um, so I'm going to enjoy my moment while it's, uh, while it's still here in the present and um, looking forward to this. And you and I are also sort of doing a head-to-head with the French podcast from Tennis Canada, Sur La Ligne. And uh, I haven't heard how they did or fared after the first week so i'm just going to assume that we're winning but uh yeah well uh we know credit to you for uh carrying uh carrying our team so far uh obviously i've i've been a burden more than anything so i'm, I'm really going to step up my game for indian wells both men's and I'm women's counting side on it. i'm expecting yeah. it you have to. Uh, <laughs> I, I do have to one player we will have back by the way and this is important for indian wells uh, she hasn't played yet this season she missed the australian open due to an injury but she's healthy and ready to go again carolina plishkova making Ace her queen. 2022 debut ace queen coming back on the hard courts how 
fitting uh she'll play the sunshine double and you know we've spoken to her on the podcast before you chatted with her last year at the national bank open and we have a signed Carolina Pliskova tennis ball, former U.S. Open finalist, former world number one. And we have a signed tennis ball for one of our lucky listeners. Now, this is something new. We'll try to enter this contest, get a chance to win a signed Carolina Pliskova tennis ball. We'd like for you to leave a review of our podcast uh, on any of the platforms you listen to, whether it's Apple, Spotify, Podbean, wherever you get it, uh, Google. Um, drop a review. It doesn't have to be a written review. You can know you you can post the star count if you want. I, I mean, hopefully, if you're listening, you like what we do, and uh, you'll be kind to us in the reviews. But you can be honest if you want as well. Yeah, and, I don't uh, even care what kind of review it is. Just leave <laughs> us a review. Get our review count up there. I mean, hopefully, it's if you're listening to us. Hopefully, it's because you like listening to us. Or at least don't not yeah. like listening to us. Um, but yeah, leave us a review. We'd like to see a few more on there. Send us that screenshot. We'll enter you for a draw for this signed tennis ball, which was signed by the Ace Queen at the um, National Bank Open last summer in Montreal. And Tennis Canada, thank you for providing this. And they will be happy to mail it out to whoever our winner is, which we will announce, uh, what, next weekend on our, or no, the following Monday on our yeah, um, following Monday after after the tournament. So when Indian Wells is over, we'll choose a winner. So leave the review. Um, just take a screenshot of the review. DM it to us at Matchpoint Can, or you can DM it to us on Instagram at Matchpoint Canada, or if you have another way of just informing me that you did leave a review, if I can verify it, I'll put you in the contest. Guys, thanks so much for listening to Matchpoint Canada. Thanks to our guests, Layla Annie Fernandez and sister Bianca Jolie Fernandez. We will talk to you next time. <laughs>